Good evening, everyone. Uh, For those who haven't been with us recently, we've been walking through the Ten Commandments. And in the last two weeks in particular, we've begun to see how God's people ought to relate to one another. Tonight, we're going to see how God regulates the most intimate of human relationships. That's marriage. Seventh commandment found in Exodus 20, verses 14 and verse 14 and Deuteronomy 5, verse 18 is this. You shall not commit adultery. Simply put, adultery is marital infidelity. Uh, it's voluntary sexual relations between a married person and someone other than their spouse. And it's a, it's a monstrous sin because marriage is a magnificent relationship. To disregard the bounds of marriage is to rebel against God's design for both unity and intimacy. This command is also not just for married people. Scripture closely ties adultery and any sexual immorality together. And like other commandments, the the negative prohibition in this verse also implies positive commands that we find elsewhere in Scripture. This is in the seventh commandment. God's people receive a prohibition against both adultery and sexual immorality, and they are called to chastity outside of marriage and fidelity in marriage. In our culture, sex is God. It's one of the most pervasive idols that we see today. Our culture currently seems to have no other gods before sex. Perverted sexual expression, sexual identity, Sexual fulfillment, these are, these are what drives our culture's values, our politics, our entertainment, and it's seeming every, seemingly every other facet of American life. But God created sex not to be consumed and worshipped, but instead as the ultimate expression of love and promise. So Lord willing, tonight our understanding of marriage and sex is going to be magnified so that our God will be glorified in it. Uh, per usual, we're going to consider this commandment in four ways. We're going to see God's character in this commandment. We're going to see the sin it exposes in us. We'll see how Christ fulfilled this commandment. And then finally, our response in view of the gospel. So point one, this commandment is a window into God's heart, into God's steadfast love and faithfulness. Marriage established in Genesis 2 is a permanent earthly relationship between a man and a woman. It involves leaving father and mother, holding fast to one's spouse, and becoming one flesh. In marriage, man and woman become stuck to one another. They become glued together, bound in an indistinguishable and comprehensive unity. Marriage is a covenant. It's a relationship marked by promises and voluntary obligations. This covenantal framework is also how God relates to his people. He covenants with them. He makes promises and he voluntarily obligates himself to fulfill those promises. And here in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, God is establishing a covenant with the nation of Israel. He's writing their vows as the nation who would be bound to God. In this covenant, we see the heart of God. The only reason God enters into this relationship with Israel is because he desired it. He chose them not because they enticed him, but simply because he chose to pour out his affection onto them. 
And his, def- his affection all throughout the Old Testament is defined by this simple but profound word pair, steadfast love and faithfulness. The two words are always together and they always work together in the Old Testament, provide a full orbed definition of how God relates to his people. So every time the Bible references God's steadfast love and faithfulness, we see it in Exodus 34. It's what Psalm 117, the shortest psalm in all of scripture, that's what, this, that's what the psalm is all about. Many, many other places. Steadfast love and faithfulness captures the nature and the character of God's affections toward his people. And steadfast love and faithfulness should also mark the marriage covenant as well. Marriage is a covenantal relationship established by God to be an image-bearing relationship. Marriage expresses the exposure, the intimacy, and the union that man should have with his creator. Marriage was originally marked by unashamed nakedness. The full self, fully displayed with sheer confidence and dignity before the face of God and one's spouse. And all of this, this, this promise, this unity, this intimacy, this endurance, all the glory and beauty of marriage is, is most profoundly expressed in the act of sex. God designed sex to be the culminating covenant act of marriage. It is a seal of love and faithfulness between a man and a woman. The seventh commandment, it's, it's calling us to submit to God's good and glorious design for sex. It's a call to faithfulness. It's a call to exclusiveness. It's a call to image God's love for his people, to be steadfast in love and faithfulness to our covenant partner. Seventh commandment, it's, it's a window into God's commitment to his people. And we see it, as we've been seeing every week, it's also a mirror. And we see ourselves reflected in it. But as we look into this law, we, we don't see steadfast love and faithfulness naturally within ourselves. Instead, we're exposed to our unfaithfulness, our immorality, and our lust. The most evident place that we see this is in Jesus' teaching on adultery. So point two, the sin exposed is our lustful hearts that defile us. Matthew 5, 27 to 28 says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. As Jesus is fulfilling the the true intention of this commandment, he teaches us that adultery is not just an outward act. It's first and foremost committed in the heart. Sin doesn't just merely affect our sexual expression, but it also affects our inward sexual intentions. Lust is an intention of the heart that is opposed to God's covenantal love. It's not steadfast. Lust distracts and it deviates. Instead of remaining true and faithful, lust chases whatever crosses its path. And while we're called in marriage to leave father and mother and to join to our spouse, lust tempts us to leave our spouse and join to anyone else. Lust is the antithesis of covenantal love. Jesus also teaches us that our adulterous hearts defile us. Matthew 15, 18 to 20 says, What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. 
For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. Going back to the Torah, Leviticus 18 teaches us that God's strict sexual ethic was imposed on Israel so that they would remain faithful to him and undefiled before him. But as we look into the seventh commandment, Jesus teaches us that our hearts, corrupted by adultery and sexual immorality, they prove us to be unfaithful and defiled. Sexual immorality, it feels dirty because it is dirty. Sexual sin is unclean. It's defiled. It's perverted before God. Sex within God's good design is beautiful, and it is no small thing to be sexual outside of marriage. Sex is God's masterpiece of human intimacy and unity. And adultery, it's a complete corruption of sex. So imagine someone going into the Louvre and taking a can of spray paint and just going at it at the Mona Lisa. Devil horns and glasses and, you know, the mustache and all words all over it. I mean, the world will be mortified at such a, a, a ridiculous defilement of such a work of art. But that's how we handle sex when we engage with it outside of marriage. We abandon our love, our loving and create, faithful creator. We defile ourselves as image bearers. And we dehumanize the image bearers who we engage in sexual immorality with. Our bodies are not meant for sexual immorality. They're not meant to be used for our own passions or desires or cravings. Because they're so much more valuable than that. Your body's value is not based on its physical attractiveness, its provocativeness, or its seductiveness. Our culture is wrong. Sexuality does not define you. Your creator does. And if you're in Christ, your creator has deemed you to be the object of receiving his steadfast love and faithfulness. The gospel, the good news, is that Jesus Christ fulfilled the seventh commandment by faithfully keeping his covenant promise to redeem his beloved bride. So point three, Christ fulfills this commandment as the covenant keeper. Christ not only fulfilled the intention of the law in his teaching, but he also obeyed this commandment by faithfully loving his church and laying down his life for her. In Ephesians 5, Paul tells us that the original establishment of marriage in Genesis 2.24, that man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh, that this refers to Christ and the church. It points us to Jesus' perfect covenantal love and faithfulness to his bride. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27 tells us that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Paul then explains that by faith, we are united to Christ. We are members of Christ's body because we are members of Christ's bride, the church. In sin, we all commit spiritual adultery and immorality. But by God's grace, faith in Christ unites us with him in a covenantal relationship 
that's characterized by his own steadfast love and faithfulness. Christ has loved us. He has washed away our sins with his blood and cleansed us with his word. Our union with Christ washes away the shame and the filth of sin. He exchanges his robes for our filthy rags. He clothes us in his righteousness and redeems us and reconciles us to him to be the object of his affection. Christian life is one that should be characterized by chastity and fidelity because we more than anyone else in the world have experienced true steadfast love and faithfulness in our salvation from sin. So point four, and finally, our our response is to this in light of the New Testament, in light of Christ, in light of the gospel, is just simply chastity and fidelity. In view of the gospel, the Christian lives out the seventh commandment by committing to chastity outside of the context of marriage and fidelity inside of it. So consider Paul's words in, in 1 Corinthians 6. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall then I take the members of Christ and make them a member of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, who you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. On the basis of our redemption and our union with Christ, Paul gives the church this charge. Flee from sexual immorality. Don't be like the foolish kid in Proverbs 7 and linger around sexual immorality. Don't see how close you can get to the edge without falling into the pit. Flee. Run the other direction. Don't entertain it with your mind or your speech or your wardrobe. Flee. In Christ, your body should be highly regarded and should express your status as a member of Christ's bride. Our bodies are to be used to glorify God, not satisfy our sinful lusts. So don't join Christ's bride with a prostitute. Don't subject her eyes to pornography. Don't objectify her for someone else's approval. Remain faithful to Christ by keeping your way pure. And then Paul goes on to talk about sexual relations within a marriage in 1 Corinthians 7. And instead of fleeing, married couples are called to come together and not deprive one another. He instructs married couples in this way as the solution to immoral sexual temptation. Lustful temptation, it won't leave the heart after marriage. And spouses, spouses are to protect one another from letting that temptation give birth to sin. Instead of suppressing sexual desire, married couples are encouraged to direct it exclusively toward their covenant partner. You see, we don't stop being Christ's bride once we've obtained an earthly spouse. Instead, we gain the responsibility to care for another member of Christ's bride. And one way we uphold this responsibility is through steadfast love and faithfulness in the marriage bed. So whether it's through abstinence outside of marriage or sex within marriage, 
We are all called to use sex to magnify the love and faithfulness of God. But none of this will truly glorify God apart from intimacy with Christ. We glorify God in our bodies by primarily experiencing spiritual intimacy with our Lord and Savior. This intimacy isn't earned by work, but simply enjoyed and cherished. So believer, if you're currently experiencing shame from past sin, if you feel the need to cover up and hide yourself before the face of God, I I hope you come to enjoy the affections that Christ has for you as a member of his bride. In Christ, you've already been exposed and examined. And with love in his heart, he picked you up. He wrapped you in his pure garments. He brought you home to present you as his beloved bride. You can put down the spiritual scrub brush. You've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and the spirit and by the spirit of God. All the blessings of Christ are yours because he laid down his life to save you from sin. Rest in these blessings. Enjoy them and draw near to God because you have been made clean. In conclusion, God prohibits adultery because he is faithful. We commit adultery because in sin, we are naturally unfaithful. Christ has both exposed the true adulterous nature of our hearts and he has fulfilled God's covenant promise of salvation. Faith unites us to Christ as members of his bride and calls us to live in a way that illustrates his steadfast love and faithfulness to an unfaithful world. Brothers and sisters, do not commit adultery, but be faithful to your covenant partners and to your God. Let's pray. Lord, great is your steadfast love toward us. Your faithfulness endures forever. For this, we praise you and we pray that all peoples will extol you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And now please stand and we're going to sing uh, as our benediction, the last line of holy, holy, holy. It's printed on the bottom of your prayer sheet. Holy, holy, holy.